and welcome to the Ethnos New Brunswick podcast. We're so glad you're joining us. Ethnos is a new organization looking to join in the holistic, community-transforming work happening in New Brunswick and Highland Park. Part of that includes thinking about the spiritual health and vitality of our community. Each week, our gathering is meant to give our community a safe and helpful place for that. Today's episode, Spiritual Journey is a Process, is the fourth in our series called DNA, What Defines Us, with the conversation being led by speaker Chuck. Um, and so as we get started with our discussion, uh, before I introduce our guest speaker, uh, just a background for this, for this series. So it's, the series is called DNA, What Defines Us? And we're engaging this at the beginning of the year so we can, we can go through as a group some of these core principles of, of who we are, why we do what we do, so that we can engage it together in a fresh and in a sharp way. So that's why we're doing it today. Uh, some of you know that one of our leaders, Yukon, is uh, out of town this week at another one of our network communities. And so I'm really excited to bring up our, our guest speaker, um, Chuck Whitley. So, so Chuck has, uh, man, I've, I knew him back in San Diego. He was one of, our, one of the leaders in the San Diego community when Yukon and I were there. Uh, great guy. And then, and then uh, you're also starting another community like this in the, the southern community of San Diego. So San Diego's, you know, like every city, stretched out over many miles. So, so we'll have a northern San Diego and then a southern San Diego community. So I'm excited for you guys. Chuck's amazing. Look forward to, to what he brings. Thank you, Curtis. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here. Thank you for inviting me out. I know you didn't do it particularly, but in a way, you invited me out today. And uh, if you're new with us, I want to welcome you. And if this is your first time here, I especially want to welcome you. Uh, I am excited that you're here. I know the people around you are excited that you're here. And let me just pause for a second. And could I just pray before I just start this sermon? If this is new to you, you could just take a moment of silence. But I'm just going to ask the Lord to lead us and to guide us. Lord, we want to thank you that you're everywhere present all the time. And Lord, we just praise you, Lord, for being here today. Would you just guide my mind and open my mind to what you have to say? And would you open up every one of our hearts to what you're saying and help us all to discern your voice from my voice? And we're going to trust you that you're big enough and you love us enough to do this. And so I lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. As Curtis mentioned, we're in a, a series called DNA, and Yukon asked me to talk about the spiritual journey. And I was very excited about this, and so I'll just tell you what I'm going to talk about up front. I'm just going to talk about that our spiritual journey is a process. So often people will talk about a spiritual journey as an event, you say a prayer, and you're done. Uh, you have an experience, and you're done. Or they'll talk about something else as if you just do some activity, and it's done. But when we look in this book we call the Bible, one of the things we see is stories of men and women who are on journey with God throughout their life. And we see that it's, the spiritual journey is much better, as I understand it, as a process 
not an event. In this process, according to this book we call the Bible, it seems that the goal of this process is to represent Jesus, to be like Jesus, and to represent Jesus. Now, I'll get to this in a minute, but let me just pause for a second and tell a story. As we moved to San Diego, we wanted to reach out and start an ethnos community next to San Diego State University. And so we thought it would be best if my wife applied for a position at San Diego State University. So she applied to the HR department. And she's done HR before. I have a nonprofit. She's done HR, human resources for my nonprofit. And she figured this is going to be easy, although she's never worked for a school, especially a school as big as San Diego State University. Now, there's something you need to know about San Diego State. It's an absolutely huge school, and they employ thousands of faculty and staff, and they tend to do new hire at the beginning of the school year. Well, that makes sense. It's a new school year. They're bringing people on. She's in HR. And guess when they hired her? Right in the middle of hiring process. They bring her in, and she says, okay, when's the training? It's right now, here's your desk, here's the paper, go. And she thought to herself, wait a minute, is there a manual for my position? This is a new position, there's no manual. Ask us if you have any questions, I'm busy, I'll be in my office. And she, she, was, she was excited for the new job, but she was a little set back. Well, wait a minute, what do I do? What, how does this work? What's the corporate culture? And the response was, ready, set, go. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'll be in the office. Now, she came home her first day. She was excited for the new job, but she was a little bit discouraged that there was, let's just say, next to no training. And so we begin to talk. Honey, you've been through this before. What's the plan? She says, uh, you know what? I'm not taking this. If I have a question, I'm just going to find somebody and ask it. Well, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, that's good. And you know what? Um, I'm just going to do what I know how to do, and I'm going to write the manual for the next person so they don't have to go through this process. <laughs> Honey, I think that's a great idea. I think they're going to give you a raise right off the bat. So she went back to work, and she just, she was just bold. She had a question. She just found someone to get the answer. She got her work done. She's writing the manual because she doesn't like it when this happens. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. My wife is not the only one, I think, not the only one, who's gone through that experience where they are hired on in a new position with very little instruction in what to do. That happened to me before, and I bet it's happened to you before. Are you bold enough to raise your hand if you say, yeah, I, I know what that feels like? And so I want to ask you a question. If you've gone through that before, could you answer one of two questions? Uh, for the feelers among you, answer this question. What does it feel like when you went through that experience? They're going to evaluate me in three months, but they're not going to train me in what to do. What's that feel like? And for the thinkers among you, I know there's some PhD students here. What do you wish they had done different? Now, I want you to turn to the person next to you. You could turn to a person that you came with, or you can turn to a smiling face you haven't met yet and answer one 
of those two questions, and then we're going to bring it back around, and I'll begin talking again. Well, let's, let's wrap it up. Bring it in. Now, some of you answered the first question, how did that make you feel? Some of you asked, answered the second question, what did you wish they had did different? Some of you answered both questions, and I guarantee you some of you told the store, whole story from beginning to end of what happened to you and how frustrating it was. As I listened around the room, I, I, I heard some people talk about the frustration in that process. Uh, how, what were some other things you felt? Just call it out. Don't tell them the story. Just call out what you feel. Yes. Uh, helpless. helpless. Yes. What else? Confused. I can relate. <laughs> Overwhelmed, absolutely. I, when I went through that process, I fought the feeling. I, I began to say to myself, this is a challenge. I can do this. I'm, I can make this. And I fought to stay in that place. But I have to admit, I didn't stay in that place very long as I fell back into feeling confused and overwhelmed and praying to God for help. How many of you answered the question, what, uh, what did you wish they had done different? And, and what did you say? Yes. Yeah, okay, I never thought of it. Be aware of what your new hire is coming from. Yes. Even if, even if they didn't have a plan, just acknowledging that this is a little overwhelming would have been nice. Anybody else? Yes. A contact person. Yeah, this person's the one you talk to, so you don't have to go find them. Anybody else? Yes, back there. Open communication. Wouldn't that be nice in the office? Without judgment, right? It, one more? Yes. Yes. And then my wife, she, she, she would just say, they just need to have a plan. I don't care what the plan is. They just need to have a plan and then follow the plan. You know, sometimes the spiritual journey can be a little bit like a new hire. I've decided to step into a relationship with Jesus. Now, how does this work? Who do I talk to? I feel a little overwhelmed. What's the process? What's next? And, or at least, I'll be honest, that's when I stepped into a relationship with Jesus for the first time. Those were kind of the questions I was asking. And then we come across a situation where there's multiple trainers, and they say different things in the spiritual journey, and which one do I listen to? So today, I want to talk about that. The spiritual journey can be a process it can be a long process, and sometimes it can be an overwhelming and confusing process. I want to acknowledge up front that the spiritual journey for all of us is unique. It's not the same. But with that said, I want to talk about some elements that are usually similar for all of us. I want to talk about four elements that are similar to all of us. And this is going to be the outline of what we talk about today. I want to talk about how love in our spiritual journey, learning how to love with our 
loving with the heart of the Father or with the heart of God is a part of the process. Learning how to think with the mind of Jesus is a, is a part of the process. I'm going to learn how to love differently. I'm going to learn how to think differently. Back. Oh, I see. We got Spanish. <laughs> That's good. All right, the, the next three and four. I got confused. Being positioned for influence is a part of the process. This is especially hard. I notice with people on the spiritual journey, do you know that God wants to position you for influence? We want to talk about that. How does that work? And finally, seeking to make the world a better place is a part of the process. A lot of people will tell me, this is about me and Jesus. It's all about me and God. But if the heart of God is for the world, and he cares about your situation, but he also cares about your neighbor's situation, a lot of this spiritual journey and that process of engaging the spiritual journey is a partnership with God to meet my neighbor's needs as the Father wants to meet their needs. And as I take on the Father's heart or God's heart, I then grow a heart for my neighbor. And I want to influence them and their situation for good. These are the four things that we want to talk about today. Now, let me just really quickly talk about what I do. A part of what I do as the executive director of another nonprofit called Wilderness International is we work with business leaders, executives, business owners, or in the nonprofit world, the executive directors. In the business world, the, the C-suites, the CEOs, CFOs, CSOs, the COOs. And I know there's a C-something O that I'm missing. The <laughs> CTO. I didn't even know what that is. But what we do is we work with them. I charge them a lot of money to help them get clarity with God in what God is doing in their life and in the life of their business on, and how God can advance them and their business for influencing society for good. Now, this is about how they receive direction from God, not through me, but f by themselves for their business. And I'm going to be honest with you. Most people, they hire me on because they want to raise. I'll be honest. That's usually what happens. Or they want to advance. And I tell them straight up, you know what? When you walk with God, there will be resources. He will advance you. But there's going to come a time when he asks something from you. He's going to ask something from you for others. And they, I, I swear they never believed me. And I'm going to tell a story at the end about this. But God has no problem positioning you for influence, but it's for others. Well, let's look at these, uh, this outline. Let's look at the first one. The first one is in the spiritual process, as we learn how to represent Jesus, there's a there is a part of this process where we learn how to love with the heart of God. God loves you, but he loves all of you. He loves everyone. He loves everyone from every nation. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your language is. God has a heart for you. 
When we look into this book we call the Bible, we see this taking place again and again and again. There's a book in the Bible we call 1 Samuel, and in it is the story of kings, uh, kings of the ancient Israelites. And the first king was King Saul, and he had a problem. He didn't have a heart for God. And so God began to look for another king to influence his people for good. And we see in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, it says this, The Lord sought a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people, Israel. Now, there's an interesting thing that's going on here. There's this heart issue and there's this positioning for influence issue we see within this passage. God cares deeply about the hearts of his leaders. Now, let's just think about it. And can I just say it straight up? Can I just use, well, it's not really street talk, but back in uh, where I come from, it's junkyard talk. Look, if you're a jerk, you don't influence others for Christ. I mean, let's just think about this. If my heart is callous, I'm having a really hard time representing Jesus and moving down the spiritual journey. And God has to work on my heart. In, in our culture so often, what we hear people say is, don't, don't listen to your emotions, right? Just, you know, follow the logic. Now, now there's some truth in that, but it tends to have people cut themselves off from their emotional life. And a part of our emotional life we see in the field of emotional intelligence is that emotions and having a rich heart life actually moves us and motivates us to make change for others. When we see a problem in society and our heart is callous because we've turned off our emotions, we've turned off our conscience, we see wrong and we don't worry about it. We just go on our way. And if we often see in the spiritual journey that God's just in the process of turning that back on. So as he positions us for influence and we see something wrong, our heart breaks. And we go, I have to engage this. I have to use the resources at my disposal to do something about this problem. For that, God sometimes has to do a heart work within us. That's number one in the spiritual journey. Are you willing, as you engage Jesus... To allow him to engage the heart, to turn on, to enliven the conscience, to bleed for those who hurt, and be willing to sacrifice along with him to engage those problems. It's the heart that motivates us to action. It's the brain that tells us how to get it done. We see in the spiritual journey, there's, a, there's another part that God is going to work on along the way. And that is he's going to help us to think differently, to take on the mind of Christ. When I think about a passage, I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Now, let me give you a sense of context for this passage. This is a kind of a complex 
arguments that Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through 3. Part of what Paul did in the first century is he studied philosophy, and he will engage complex arguments. And so this passage is a little complex, but I want to walk us through it bit by bit to kind of get a sense of what he is saying. And when we understand what he is saying in this passage, and if we can engage it, it is crazy. I mean, if this is true, what we're about to read, if this is true, it changes everything. Well, let's just read it. He says this, For who among men, and I think we can include women in this as well, who among men and women knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? Now, let me just stop right there. In the first century, they thought of the person differently. They thought of the person in terms of the biological part of themselves. That's a part of what a person is. There's a biological, physical body. But then they, they talk about a spirit. And they talk about a soul. The soul would be the mental part of a human body. The spirit is a part that we don't always talk about. This is the spiritual part, that part within us that engages God. Uh, in our day and age, we just don't talk about this very much. But understand, in Paul's day and age, they said there's a part of us that engages the spiritual realm called the spirit. He says, look, within a, a person, the spirit within them knows the person's thoughts. And we go, okay, that I get that. I get that. That makes sense, Paul. What else you got? He goes on to say this. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We would call this a parallel. A spirit's, a person's spirit knows their thoughts. God's spirit knows God's thoughts. And then he pulls something on us when we look at this next piece. He says, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. That we may understand what God has freely given us. And then in verse 16, he sums this up as saying, but we have the mind of Christ. Let's look at the next slide, and let's look at how he arranges this. A man's or woman's spirit knows his or her thoughts, okay. God's spirit knows God's thoughts, okay. We have, not, we have God's spirit, therefore we have access to, and then he leaves it blank, and you're supposed to fill it in. We have access to what? Turn to the person next to you and fill in the blank. If you're in college and you've taken Philosophy 101, the argumentation goes like this. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. We have access to God's thoughts, which Paul summarizes as the mind of Christ. In the spiritual journey, we are learning how to access the thoughts of God. Now, you can say, how is that possible? Yeah, we're not gonna, we are not gonna understand all of God's thoughts. I, 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 I know how my wife thinks, like this much. I, can, I don't have access to all her thoughts, but I have an idea of what's going on. In the same way, God wants to enter into the kind of relationship with you 
where he is able to reveal his thoughts. And you have a sense of what's going on within his heart and his mind. I, I want you, he's saying, to bleed for the lost and the dying. I want you to bleed for those who hurt in this world. And I will give you access to how to get it done, because I know how to get it done, and I'll share that with you. That's our God. How are you going to represent Christ as a part of the spiritual journey if I don't know how he thinks? And so he's walking us into how he thinks. I was working with an executive. He is the chief scientific officer of an organization where the, the owner is in Dubai, the headquarters is in Texas, where Yukon's at right now, and he's in San Diego, and he hired me on, and we're working on him, and he wants, he has the promotion, he's at the top, but he wants more from God, and he don't worry about the money, he don't worry about positions, he's really worry, worried about how now do I after, after I've achieved what I've tried to achieve, how now do I take this position and use it for the glory of God? He goes, I don't got that figured out. I said, good, we're going to work on your marriage. It's like, what? My marriage? That's all. Well, my marriage is all her fault. Ladies, how many of you have heard that? Right. You, you know that's not true, but I'm talking with this guy, and he's an executive, and I'll be honest with you, executives don't always take advice. They hire you on, but they don't listen to you. <laughs> and so I go, okay, let's, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, and I know what I have to do. I have to kind of walk them into this conversation with God and have God kind of walk them through what's really going on to access the thoughts of God. We often do that by forgiving the people around us. So we just, let's just forgive your wife for whatever she's done. Let's just give over whatever lies you feel. He goes, okay, yeah, I got to forgive her. We made a list. And there were some lies. I'm a, I'm a bad husband. Let's give that lie over. I, it'll always be like this. Let's give that lie over. Let's accept the truth. Dude, you're not the, a bad husband if you hire somebody to come in and walk you through how to grow as a husband. Right? Okay. Right? It's not always going to be like this because we follow a God who brings transfer. Okay, yes, okay. And as we walk into this peace and love begin to fill his heart, and I said, I want you to ask God who your wife reminds you of. He says, what? That's weird. What? Where does that come from? I want you just to trust me. Close your eyes and repeat after me. Just say, dear Jesus. He goes, all right, dear Jesus. Who does my wife remind me of? Who does my, oh my goodness, she reminds me of my brother. Tell me about your brother. He's starting to access. Well, my brother was a drug addict, and when he was high, which was all the time, he was cruel to me. He beat me up. He, he said things that both hurt me and my family deeply. In fact, I don't have any good memories of him because he was always high. And he's like, it was one of those painful events. You're, you're sitting with an executive. He just starts crying. I'm like, oh, we just hit something. Let's forgive your brother. We made a list. We gave over the lies. And then halfway through it, he says, Chuck, I, I think I figured it out. Right, I know where we're going. I'm not mad at my wife. I'm mad at my brother. And I'm punishing her for the sins of my brother. Bingo. This isn't her fault at all, he says. This is my fault. Yeah. He's beginning to access 
the thoughts of God. He's beginning to look at reality differently. Now, guess what he does at work? Guess who reminds him of his brother at work, right? Oh, we got to deal with that because that's going to limit your influence in business. He's like, oh, man, we got work to do. The marriage is always the microcosm of our relationships in the workplace. And there is no working on one in isolation from the other. We deal with one to give us insight into the other. And he began to tap into the mind of Christ. He began to see reality differently. And he began to take ownership of his parts of the problem. Their marriage is better now. God wants us to take on his heart. God wants us to have access to the mind of Christ. You know, let me just diverge just for a second. In the Latino church, I'll often get invited to churches and I'll, I'll speak. In the Latino church, they, they don't want to necessarily learn something. They want to experience God. And I, I've been up here, and there's, just, there's translations going on over here, and the Lord's just speaking to me. Can I just take a moment, a pause, a break, and just share something to someone over here? Can I, can I share a word with you? Is that okay? I'm up here, and the Lord's, the Lord's speaking to me, and he's telling me that you're praying to the Lord about some prayer requests. And he's sharing the prayer requests with me, but I'm not going to share them in public. He's telling me, though, that he's going to answer your prayers, but he's, he's slow on purpose, and you're afraid. And he's saying, don't listen to fear. If you act on your fear, you're going to miss my answers to your prayer requests. But he wants you to know he loves you and cares about you, and he's on everything you're asking for. But you've got to give him time to line it all up. If he acts according to your fear immediately, others will actually get hurt. And so he's moving slow so everybody is built up. So in the name of Jesus, we just tell fear to go away because we trust the Lord. Thank you. When you engage the spiritual journey, you have access to the heart of God and the mind of Christ. Why does he do this? Because he wants to position you for influence. But he wants to be your primary influence as you partner with him in a position of influence to address hurts within the world. So let's look at the third one here. He wants to position you for influence, and I don't know why, but I find Jesus followers struggle with this when the most they say, yeah, access to the thoughts of God, yeah, that sounds spiritual. Taking on the heart of the Father, yeah, that sounds spiritual, but I don't know about this position for influence. I'm not greedy. It ain't about being greedy. It is not about being greedy. As he transforms us, our minds and our hearts, he puts us in a position to represent the love of God and gives us the strategies to influence society for good, not evil. Well, let's look at a passage. This should be a typical ethnos passage. Revelation 5, 9 through 10. You should probably know, I guarantee you, Yukon uh, has probably preached on this passage before. Let me give you a sense of the context. Here, this is in the last book of the, what we call the Bible. And in the last book, a scroll is handed to Jesus. 
And on the scroll there are seals. In the ancient world, you had to have a rank to open the king's seal. If you dared to break the king's seal and that message wasn't for you, it's instant death. To break the king's seal, you had to have massive authority. Does that make sense? These are ancient ways of governing. And on this scroll that was handed to Jesus, there's seven of them, right? So if you're not supposed to open it, it's seven times the consequences than just one. And they had a question, who is worthy to open the scroll, this message that's being handed to humanity? And they began to, they began to, uh, I would say moan, they weren't moaning, they're beginning to lament because there was no one worthy. And then Jesus steps on the scene and it says this, uh, around the throne were elders and it says living beasts or creatures, which is an ancient way of saying angels. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve God and they will reign on the earth. This is interesting. I want to look at two parts within this passage. The first part is Jesus purchased men and women from every tribe and language and people group and tongue. We are all included. We are all included in what Jesus wanted to do. But more, so often people stop there and they don't read the next passage. What does the next passage say? It tells us, what we are intended to do as Jesus brings us together, all right? And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests. In the ancient world, priests were a part of the ruling class. To serve our God, that's what priests do, and they will reign on the earth. We are co-reigners with Christ. It's not how we often see within the world one nationality over another nationality in the ruling and the reigning. Oh, no, in God's kingdom, it's different. When he brings us together, black men, white men, Latino men and women, Asian men and women, they reign together. They reign side by side. Now, we reign under the rulership of Christ. There's a th an authority structure, but not me over you. It's me next to you. That is his intention. When he positions you for influence, it is alongside other men and women of other nations and people group as partners, but to rule as we are in the spiritual journey in order to influence for Christ. For many of us, he has to do a heart work before he gets us those positions. But he wants to give you those positions for sure. I'm working with a woman. She is in a large corporation. She sells not medical equipment, scientific equipment, the big ticket items, the electron microscopes. She says, last year I had to, my team and I, she's the director under the, the C-suites. She says, last year I had to make, my team had to make $50 million in sales. I blew that away. 
So this year, it's $70 million in sales. She's a scientist, so she graphs everything out. She goes, Chuck, I've been graphing out these goals they've been given to me. Next year, it's going to be $120 million. And I ask her, are you going to meet those goals? And so that's why she hired me on. The goal is to meet the goals with joy, the joy of the Lord. She goes, I don't want to do this. It's kind of miserable. They're kinda, it's really kind of stressful. $120 million? Do you understand the stress? I don't, but I know who does. And I know what he wants to give you. I know what he wants to do in your heart to do your work with joy. Okay, let's do this. I said, I said uh, what do you think is going to happen when you meet that goal of $120 million next year? She goes, I know what's going to happen. They will promote me to the C position. And it scares me. I see where it's going, and it's higher than I ever thought. She's a Latino woman. She has blown through every glass ceiling they try to put on all of you. She goes, I've had to work, and I have had to fight, and I'm here, and I see where I'm going, and it scares me. And I say, that's right. Is it all about you? She goes, I don't want it to be. I don't want it to be about me making a company rich. And I begin to work with her on this other issue. Why is God putting you in these positions of influence? I don't know. I, I, think, I think you do know. I think you have a heart for something greater than all of this, right? And as she began to think and she began to pray, she goes, I want to work for other women of color, especially Latino women of color who are in business to help them blow through the glass ceiling. And I said, that's what I want to work with you on. God will position you in the C position. You will be at the head, but it ain't to make money. It is to help other women of color to blow through the glass ceilings that has tried to held you back and is holding them back. That is what I want to partner with you on. It ain't about the money. It ain't about the position. But you got to be positioned for influence, and you have to be, re you have to be resourced with the money to engage the task that God has for you. In this spiritual journey, it ain't about you and Jesus. It's about taking on a heart for the problems of this world. It's about transforming that heart, being positioned in a position of influence, and then using that position for a greater good than just making the money. Oh, money will come, but it isn't about the money. Does that make sense? You know, as we engage this spiritual journey, you're going to be in these places where you make the money and you don't care about that anymore. You have the position, but it's just a piece of paper. You thought it was going to be cool, but in reality, it doesn't bring the joy that you think it's going to bring. You have respect, but you no longer care about the opinion of men and women. What you want to do as you walk with Jesus and you represent him in this world is you want to make a difference in the lives of the people around you where they too can experience of joy, where they too can engage what God wants them to engage, to blow away the things that hold them back, to help them engage Father in positions of influence. That is what he has for you, that was what he has for me. That's what he's doing in this spiritual journey. You know, what I want to do 
is I want to do an exercise that I usually do with some of the executives I work with. It's an ancient prayer. And I want to invite us into the, this ancient prayer. I want to invite the worship team to come on up and do whatever they do while we pray. This prayer is called the prayer of examine. And here, let me just tell you a little about, about the prayer of examine. It's that where you invite God to just examine your heart. And just point out anything that blocks us from engaging him. Many people, when they think about the prayer of examine, think, oh, you're talking about sin. You know, I'm not really talking about sin. If sin's the issue, okay. But what we find is that there's so much more than just not doing the right thing that blocks us. When we think about the things that block us from engaging God, it might be our tendency to project onto God the sins of our parents. That blocks us. Unforgiveness and bitterness that comes with unforgiveness, that blocks us. Okay, That blocks us from our, our wives, our husbands, and God. Lies about God. God, you don't care about me. Look at all the garbage you letting happen. You don't care about any. Oh, that's a lie. Let's get rid of that. I'm unloved. That's a lie. You're not worthy. That's a lie. That's what culture puts on you. That's not what God puts on you. It blocks us. We have to deal with that. Of course, there's Satan in there, and he's got strategies. He just pokes at you with all the lies and bitterness and anger that comes at us from the culture. He says, look, look, look at all this. You'll never make it. We just tell him to go away. When we're asking for God to examine our hearts, open yourselves up than, than just the Sunday school sin. Ask him to go deep. It's an ancient prayer. It comes from Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Let me just read it. I don't know if, we, if I sent it to Yukon. If it's not up there, just close your eyes and listen to me read it to you. Again, King David wrote this, the man after God's own heart. And again, notice heart and position when he says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and then lead me in the way of everlasting. He's not talking about life after death. He's talking about the way of everlasting that begins in this life and is eternal. Join me in praying that prayer. So I'm going to ask you to repeat the prayer after me in the quietness of your own heart. Don't, don't say it out loud. That gets kind of weird. When everyone does it, we've never done this before. Just say it in the quietness of your own heart as I read it line by line. And then at the end, I want you to just listen for a moment and open your mind and your heart. See if the Lord speaks to you in any way, moves your memory, touches your skin, touches your emotions, or any way he might be speaking to you. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, Repeat after me in your own heart. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. 
Now just pause and listen for a moment. Undoubtedly, some of you heard things. Undoubtedly, some of you didn't hear anything. It's, it's a too new of a prayer. Some of you probably heard things that you don't understand. Whatever the Lord says, I want you to understand this. He only blocks, points out things that block intimacy. He doesn't point out anything to beat you up, to make you feel ashamed God's goal to not make you feel shame is to walk us past shame into unity and relationship. And understand this, whatever the Lord points out, that thing blocks you from that position of influence he wants to give you. He points it out to help you just hand it over to him so you can walk further down the spiritual journey and represent Christ in a deeper way. Thanks again for joining us for today's conversation. For more information about Ethnos New Brunswick, visit us at ethnosmb.com.